0: Thank you for bringing us here to be together again today. Thank you for those who are able to make it. Pray for anyone who can't make it today. Thank you for this time together studying your word. We pray that we would be called to have faith like
1: those who are about us. Amen. Well, as Patrick prayed, we are learning about faith and seeing examples of faith in Hebrews 11. And just by way of review, especially since it has been a couple weeks, What's a working definition of faith based on Hebrews 11? So one way to put it, I don't think this is original, is acting on the assumption that God means what he says and will do what he promises, even though those things are not visible, to our physical eyes or currently present in our circumstances. So obviously, if, um, like if we could see it, it doesn't take faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. So sometimes we can't see it or sometimes it's not, we can't see it in the present. It's something God says about the future. And so it's trusting God will do what he says he'll do in the future. Where does our faith ultimately come from? God. Nice one, simple answer. So we looked at seven different verses that trace the origin of our faith ultimately to God. We do exercise faith. We are the ones who believe. We are doing that willingly and gladly. Um, but it's God who gives us that faith. And so we looked at verses like Ephesians 2.8, by grace you've been saved through faith and that, referring to that faith, <laughs> is not of yourselves. It's a gift of from God. Or Philippians 1.29, to you it has been granted not only to believe in Christ but to suffer for him. So granted is a free gift. Or in Hebrews 12 later we'll see that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He created it for us. Okay, so then we started looking at different individuals that are in the Hall of Fame, it's sometimes called How did Abel obtain a testimony that he was righteous or right in God's sight? He offered a more acceptable
0: sacrifice.
1: But what made it more acceptable? Faith. Faith, okay. So by faith, Abel offered. And then how was it that Enoch was pleasing to God? By faith. Okay, yeah, this is not, these are not trick questions. These are pretty straightforward. Um, How difficult is it to please God without faith? impossible so not just hard or very hard it's literally impossible to please God without faith so what were the two components of the kind of faith that is pleasing to God there's two two parts to it in that verse 6, perhaps. Okay, so believe that he is, and that doesn't mean just that he exists, and why do we know that? Demons believe too, and they even tremble. So it's not just mere belief in God's existence, but believing he is who he has revealed himself to be, In his word, sometimes that's called his name. It's a shorthand for everything God has told us about himself, everything he wants us to know about him. Everything that's true about God is his name. So that's part one. And then not just knowing that God is who he's revealed himself to be, but what else? Very good, very good. So, what would diligently seeking him look like? What does it mean to seek God? Or what does it look like? Reading the Bible. Reading the Bible why would that be part of seeking God? It reveals who God is. Amen. Okay, and what else would be part of seeking God? Prayer. Prayer. <laughs> doesn't get any more basic, right? Hearing from God in his word, talking to God in prayer. That's how we seek him. We spend time with him, just like we would in any other relationship that we want to deepen. So why would it be worth a serious pursuit? Many of your versions have the word diligently seek him. If you don't have the adverb, it's implied in the word that the author uses anyway. Why is it worth a diligent search or seeking? What's that? There's a reward, and what is the reward? God. Yes. So let's um, read Jeremiah 29, 13. Would somebody read that? Jeremiah 29, 13. 13. Of course, twenty-nine, eleven is a verse you'll see on graduation cards every spring. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. But 13, would somebody read that, please?
2: You will seek me and find me when you
1: seek me with all your heart. Okay, so that sounds very similar to Hebrews eleven, 6, doesn't it? Seek me with all your heart. Diligently seek Him. And what do we get when we seek Him? You will find me. So, uh, or we saw in Genesis 15, 1 or 2, God says to Abraham, I am your great and exceeding reward. Or Psalm 73, Asaph says, Whom have I in heaven but you and besides you I desire nothing on earth. God is His, Good as it can ever be. There's no reward short of or better than God. So that's worth seeking. And then um, what were three outcomes of Noah's faith? Right, and then what happened as a result of that? He saved his household. Okay, so there's one outcome. He saved his household, eight people altogether, his three sons and their wives and his wife. What else? He became the heir of the righteousness. Right, which we're seeing in Romans, right? That God is always justified or declared right in his sight people by faith all the way back to Noah and Abraham and... David, we will see today, it's always been by faith. It's not used to be works, used to be sacrifices, and now it's faith. It's always been faith. So there's two out of the three. What's the third? He condemned the world. world. So I think I've shared this before, but uh, one of the reasons we appreciate Desiring God Children's curriculum is it's very God-centered, and so the chapter on Noah is not Noah and his fluffy animal friends on the floating zoo. It's God destroys the world. Which is a lot for a kid to digest, <laughs> but that's reality. That's what the story is about. <laughs> it's not just about animal friends. Um, and so that's reality. And so that's something that Noah did by believing God and building the ark. Um, So any comments or questions on what we've seen so far in Hebrews 11? And if not, we'll move on to Abraham, who gets a big chunk of Hebrews 11. He gets almost all of Romans 4. Of course, he gets, what, 20-some chapters in Genesis. So a major, major figure um, in the Bible so let me read eleven eight, please.
2: By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance.
1: Is there any more? Eleven eight. Yes, please. There you go, thank you. No worries. Okay, so what are some things that make moving complicated anyway? Just everything, right? Like what? Like packing and getting
2: rid of things and hiring a help, getting help to move and finding a place to live and coming to the stark realization that you're materialistic and <laughs> I love things more than God. And
1: all of those things. Yeah, so those, that's tricky, right? There's a lot involved in just an ordinary move. What makes Abraham's move even more complicated? You didn't know where he was going. Don't know where I'm going. So the two scenarios I think of is Abraham coming home and saying, honey, we're going to move. What's Sarah's first question? <laughs> where? where are we going? I don't know. Would that be a great answer, husbands, to your wives? I don't know. We're just going to pack it up and move. Or the other one would be going to the post office, assuming they had those, and telling them, don't take mail to this address anymore in Heron or whatever. Oh, what's the forwarding address? Well, I don't know. (laughs) You look kind of silly, right? And yet that's the kind of faith Abraham exercised. Um, so let's read Genesis 18.1 to 4 just to see where the author of Hebrews is getting this. Genesis 18, 1 to 4. Can somebody read those verses, please? No, excuse me, I have the wrong chapter. Yeah, you were actually right. That's what I asked you to do. And I was wrong. It's, um, oh, how about chapter 12, 1 to 4? Sorry. Four, please.
2: So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was
1: 75 years old when he departed from Harrah. Okay. So here's this call, go, you're leaving your family, you're leaving your friends. To land I'll show you, I'm not telling you where that is yet. And verse 4 says, so Abraham went forth. So by faith Abraham obeyed. So do you remember, we saw Abraham as an example of what back in Romans 1 Remember, but remember that he is an example of righteousness we'll definitely see that in Romans 4 what's an example of in Romans 1 5 okay so let's read Romans 1 5 it's been months since we were in Romans so no obedience of faith, obedience of faith. yes So there's acts of compassion or deeds of mercy. So that kind of phrase talks about something that springs from something else. Acts of kindness are things that people do because they are kind people. So Abraham had obedience that springs from faith or faith that produces obedience not obedience without faith, because it's impossible to please God without faith, or faith without obedience, which 1 John talks about a lot, but faith that expresses its reality by obeying. So Abraham's just a great example of faith itself as well as obedient faith or faith that obeys or the obedience of faith. So one summary of what we've seen so far for Genesis, just talking about what faith is like, is faith trusts God in spite of unanswered questions be a fair summary. You're asked to move where you don't know where. Abraham's got questions. Sarah's got questions. And I don't have answers. I'm going to trust God in spite of unanswered questions. I'm guessing all of us have experienced times in our lives (laughs) where we had some like, how come, Lord? Or why is it that way, Lord? And trusting God in spite of not having those answers, at least in this life. Angela, do you want to? Okay. Okay looked like you were leaning forward like you were going to say something. Okay, let's keep going. Can I ask a yeah, please do. Just
0: about it just like okay, and I are talking about how to plant a garden. Okay. about God's motives for why he doesn't reveal things. Is it I don't know if we should know this or understand it, but he doesn't reveal to Abraham what it is that he's going to do, but he knows. God knows the whole.
1: Obviously God knows, right? I always hesitate to try to answer a question that starts with, why does God <laughs> fill in the blank? We're not on a peer level of, oh, I can speak for God on that one. Um, I, th- I think it's part of the nature of faith. Is If you have all the answers, then it's not faith anymore. It's just, I've got this explanation. Well, of course it makes sense to go here because, you know, the promised land is better than Haran. Well, then I don't need faith. A non-believer could move if they had that information. But faith says, I'll trust God even though I don't know those answers. So part of the nature of it, I think you could add the part of it does grow our faith deeper when we don't have answers. Sometimes it's a struggle and a fight of faith, like why is this happening? And we don't get answers. Sometimes we get a little bit of answers in this life. Um, In in heaven, if we're still asking the question, I think we'll get it. (laughs) I don't think we'll care anymore once we get there. But if we do still have that, category of well why did god do x when i was this old or whatever god will, you know there's answers god has good reasons for everything he does so fair question and god does all things well and that's that's my bottom line he does all things well including withholding information we'd like to have <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. So then it brings glory to God because like I have no other recourse but to say
1: I would never have done this except that God told me to I like it. I've seen that in my own life. I'm like I never done that, but I know God told me to do it. Okay, okay, sure. Sure. <laughs> I would have done that yeah, and as if we've been studying our Bibles, we know the ultimate reason God does everything is for his own glory, to uh preserve and display it, so that he'll be seen and known and honored as the great God that he is, then That always is a good answer to any question. (laughs) For his glory. Um, And our good is always, we can guess those two. Um, You've heard the Dr. Piper quote, God has at least a thousand reasons for everything he does. We might guess a few of them. So there's one, glory of God. Second, our good. And there's 998 or more other reasons (laughs) that we may or may not guess at before it's all over. But no, that's good stuff. Well... Verse 9 and 10 tell us some more about Abraham's faith. Would somebody read verse 9 and 10 back in Hebrews 11? So how many of you guys do tent camping? Okay, many of you, not anymore, okay, okay, so what's the longest you've ever gone camping in a tent, like how many days or weeks at a time? Three or four weeks, okay, that's hardcore, three or four days, okay, three or four days, Okay. Okay, okay. So what are you very aware of, let's say, after five days of camping in a tent? The stink. Okay, stink would be <laughs> a big part, I'm sure. You just sew open yeah. the elements. Okay, open all right. You have a thin cover. Sure. It always rains when you go camping. And rains, okay. So there's certainly some downsides. I always want a bed. A bed, okay, so. That's where I'm kind of thinking, because I don't do tent camping, um, is you're very aware you're not home. You miss your own warm bed and a dry roof and the comforts of home, and you're glad this is only a temporary arrangement, not a permanent arrangement. Is that a fair summary of tent camping compared to (coughs) being at home? Okay, so here's Abraham is living in tents <laughs> the whole time. Not just three or four days, go home and get a warm shower and get back in a silly, pedic mattress and all the other goodies of home sweet home. It's like he's roughing it this whole time in the promised land. Um, what was Abraham looking for? Okay. A city or a place to live. Some permanent. Right. A permanent place. The city that has foundation. So there's some stability, security, permanence. Tents are very temporary. Pick up and pack up and go. The um, city's like, I'm here. Okay. So what city do you think he's talking about? Heaven. Right? So let's go to Hebrews thirteen fourteen. There's another... Reference that sounds very similar. Hebrews 13, 14. here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Okay, and of course, Revelation 21 and 22, two whole chapters on the new Jerusalem, this beautiful city, this huge city, and how great it's going to be to live in the city God is building for us or has built for us. So any comments or questions on those verses? interesting that said, you know, he's living with Isaac and they have another. Yeah, isn't that intriguing? Isn't that intriguing? Yeah. Well, speaking of Isaac, that brings us to the next couple of verses. Would somebody read 11 and 12? So think of a a man you know who becomes a father at a little later than normal. What's the oldest one you know of? Not Abraham, but like people you know. Like, oh, so-and-so had a baby when they were X as a dad. Okay, 45 was pretty old for a dad. And full disclosure: uh, twice uh, I was with Caleb once at morningside college playing tennis, and the other time I forget what we were doing, but um, he asked if this was my grandpa, yeah, his grandpa. <laughs> so apparently, I looked like I was pretty old for having a kid that age. Um, and Dick and his son are even a bigger gap. But so 45-ish, how old is Abraham when Isaac is born? Anybody know? 100. <laughs> so twice as old, and then some of your friend. How about ladies? What's the oldest mom you know as far as age of a ha- baby? 51. 51? 51. Wow, that's up there. You can't get much past 15. No, I mean, there's some biological factors at, uh, when you hit that age. OK, how old was Sarah when baby Isaac shows up? 90. 90. So, and what else did Sarah have working against her besides just plain being 90? Bearing all her life. So this promise wasn't made when Abraham and Sarah were newlyweds in their 20s, and Sarah was, you know, going to be fertile anyway. It's their (laughs) late season of life, no children up until that point. So it's humanly impossible for this couple to have a baby. And that's the point. It's humanly impossible. Okay, Um, What was Sarah's initial reaction to the promise she would become a mom? She laughed about it. Let's read that. Genesis 18. This is where Genesis 18 comes in. Would somebody read 9 through 14? Anybody want to throw a rock at Sarah for her reaction to this? Like, oh, my faith is so strong. I, pff, what's wrong with you, girl? No. I mean, that is an understandable reaction. It kind of reminds me of the Zechariah and Mary story, because she must have had a different kind of laugh, because Abraham laughs, too, in 17. Yeah, 17- he does. Mm -hmm. and the same with Zechariah's response and Mary's response. Okay, so if if you're not quite clicking with what she's talking about Zechariah and Mary, so Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. Elizabeth had been barren. Gabriel appears and says, you're going to have a son. And what was his reaction? How can this be? Okay, Gabriel appears to Mary and... Says you're gonna bear a son. How does she respond? How can this be? So same question. Just like same laugh, but there must have been a difference in heart because Zechariah is chastised and like he can't speak until the baby's born, and Gabriel says, "Well, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you know the child will be the son of God." And it, Gabriel does give an explanation. So it wasn't a, oh, how can this be in a, I demand a clear explanation. I just like, how's this gonna happen, Lord? I, I believe you, just help me understand. And Zechariah's like, I don't believe you, like, prove it, kind of heart attitude. So they both were asking the same question, but the heart behind it. So Sarah and Abraham both laughed, but Abraham's must have been a, I believe it. and <laughs> It's so funny to think this is gonna happen. And Sarah's like, nah, (laughs) you got to be kidding me. You know, what are the gals at the senior center going to (laughs) say? So, but nothing will be impossible with God. So how did Sarah receive ability to conceive? From God or by? By faith. So that's the theme, right? By faith, by faith, by faith. And notice she considered God faithful who had promised. So isn't that interesting? So even though her initial reaction was, I don't believe it, I'm laughing at that, at some point she did believe because she believed God's faithful to keep a promise even as wild as that. And so I think another conclusion we could say about faith is faith trusts God in spite of insurmountable difficulties. So we already said faith trusts God in spite of unanswered questions. And now we're saying faith trusts God in spite of insurmountable, if not humanly impossible, difficulties. So are there any other promises that we might say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, that sound impossible at the moment, at least? I thought of two. Okay, how about Romans 8.28? Is that always a slam dunk? If something bad happens, do we just automatically default to, God's causing this to work for good? I don't know how, but I have strong faith, and so I completely trust God in spite of the difficulties of figuring out how this works. No, I think most of us struggle with that verse, depending on how bad the thing is (laughs) that happened. Or even Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So sometimes if things are tight or some other need is unmet and you don't know how it's going to get met, you might wonder how that promise can be true. And so these Examples are in Hebrews 11 to strengthen our faith, like here's someone who believed in spite of impossible circumstances, and the God who said, is anything too hard for me, is your God, and the same is true for whatever you're trying to struggle through. So any comments or questions on Abraham and Sarah's faith so far? Okay, let's go 13 to 16, please. So I'm going to read 13 through 16.
0: These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return that, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them for a
1: city. Okay, so there's, there's that city again. So how many descendants did God promise to Abraham? Many. So many would be a good it's understatement. It's as many as the okay, or stars in the heavens. Right. How many did Abraham actually get to see with his physical eyes? One. If you don't count Ishmael, but that was kind of a. Wow. I just read it. <laughs> Bible quiz queen here. That's, that's impressive. True. But, okay, so let's say seven. Okay. Seven doesn't sound like all the stars you can count or all the sand on the seashore, right? Um, How about how much land was Abraham promised? Okay, good, good. And then there's a... A really fascinating verse in Romans next week. I don't know how much we'll spend on it, but go to Romans 4 13. Romans four thirteen. 13. Somebody read that, please.
0: For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the
1: law, but through the righteousness of faith. Heir of the world? We're not just talking the promised land, heir of the world. And again, I'll see if I can get at that <laughs> for next Sunday. But how much land did he own when he died? How many acres? Okay, so Acts 7. You're right. That's good, Brandon. Um, seven. OK, 7-5 seven of Acts. OK, so there's both pieces. Uh, no, ch- no child, but you're going to have t- all these descendants. You're going to inherit the world, and you didn't even have one square foot other than the cave. <laughs> well, that was Jacob got the well from the widow of Sychar. Because the woman at Samaria says, our father Jacob got this well. If, you're probably right. Okay, you're probably right. But, okay, but even, again, the point is still there. Even if, if you're promised the whole world and you have a cave and a well, <laughs> do you feel like, oh, this promise was absolutely fulfilled in my lifetime? Okay, so we'll give you the well. Okay? Okay. <laughs> I'll assume that's true. What was your other question? You're right, and specifically, no, you're right. I think it would only just be hints, like there's this God who has revealed himself to me, and he's obviously not just here on earth. So I want to be where he is and, and enjoy being with him. Um, and we're going to see in a moment he actually believes in a resurrection. So he knows there's a life after this life so I think putting that together, there's something after this life, and I want to be where God is, that's a very uh, rudimentary view of heaven. Not much to go on, but enough for him to say, I'm looking for that. And I'm, I'm not going back to the old country in Haran. I'm looking for this city of being with God after this life is over. Right, right. So maybe that was Could have been, yeah. told, but we don't need to know that, and so it's not in the scripture. Also a good point, yeah. God does tell us what we need to know, and it kind of goes back to that unanswered questions thing, doesn't it? Trusting him for the stuff he hasn't told us. But no, that's good. Good questions. All right. So even though Abraham did not get to see promises in his lifetime because they were still future, sounds like... Hebrews 11.1, 1, evidence of things not seen, assurance of things hoped for. How did he respond to those promises? Right, and there's a little mm-hmm. more we get from in addition to that. Okay, good. He's seeking after the promise. Okay, good. Look at 13. So he saw, and promises the saw and welcomed or saw and greeted them from afar. Isn't that interesting? And one of the commentators compared it to Moses being on Mount Pisgah, seeing Canaan or the promised land from afar. He didn't get to go in it, but he could see it from afar. And in a, by faith... Abraham saw all of this that we're talking about from afar. With the eyes of faith, not with his physical eyes, eyes of faith saw what God promised being fulfilled. Okay, last, we'll finish up Abraham. Um, somebody read 17 through 19 of Hebrews 11. Okay, so what are readers told, both here and in the Genesis narrative, that Abraham didn't know? That God would provide a Pardon me? That God would provide the land. Well, that's coming. Good. I mean, that's a good guess. What was the question? What do we as the readers know? Maybe it'd be easier, Genesis 22. So Emily, you're right, that that does show up later in the story, but right from the get-go, 22, 1 and 2, would somebody read those? After these
2: things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and
1: arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Okay, so that's good. That's great. Okay, so what does the reader know that Abraham doesn't know yet? Isaac lives. It it's a test. This is a test from God. So Obviously, this is not for God's benefit. Like, I wonder if Abraham loves me more than Isaac. I think I should give him a test. I hope you don't even think that way. (laughs) God knows everything, including our hearts. But if you, for example, said, okay, Abraham, multiple choice, Um, who do you love most in your heart? A, God, B, Isaac. Who's going to say B? Nobody. Nobody. We don't know what we really believe till we're tested, right? I mean, well, if God's asking the question, I'm going to give
2: the answer that God wants. But if in, my, in the quietness of my heart, I've wrestled with this, watching friends bury their children.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I've wrestled with this a lot
1: mm-hmm.
2: and thought to myself, I could handle anything, but I
1: couldn't handle that. That's That's a fair way to see it and...
2: Mm-hmm. That, that he could do this. Sure. That he could even walk up a mountain with two jabronis.
1: And What's a jabroni? His, but his little men. His oh, little okay. I did <laughs> <In order. laughs> Yeah, he had three days, three days walk to think about all the memories of Isaac being conceived at an old age, being born, and all the fun memories he would have had. So you're right. There, I don't think there's anything tougher in the human experience than a loss of a child. Um, I've seen, I've been to some funerals of kids before too. It's, it's gut wrenching, and there's no way around it. Um, God. I think gives us special grace to endure something and that doesn't make it easy. It just makes it endurable. Um, so if God isn't asking us to give up our children this afternoon, we don't have grace for that. So we don't have to like, wow, my faith is so weak because I don't think I could handle that. You, you can't handle it on the strength you have today <laughs> unless today's the day and then you'll get extra strength. But anyway, so this is a test to show what Abraham's heart really loves most what did Abraham believe about God that enabled him to pass this test? His thought
0: seems to be that if I offer up Isaac and Isaac is going to inherit
1: these promises, God must be able to raise him from the dead. Yes. Yes. That is amazing. <laughs> because, again, we don't... Abraham didn't have a fully developed theology of heaven or resurrection or Jesus or... I mean, he is still in the early, early stages of all of that information. But he knew enough or believed enough to go, there's a God in heaven who can raise the dead and fulfill this promise he made. Because I know Isaac's supposed to be the one that keeps the promise going. And it doesn't make sense to kill him if he's the only one that's supposed to be that fulfillment. But okay, if that's what God calls me to do, I'll do it. And then God probably just raised him from the dead or something because the promise can't be broken so it has to be fulfilled some way including a miracle called bringing him back from the dead if that's what it takes. And obviously God stopped it from that having to be the case but that was the kind of faith he had and you, we actually see it in the Genesis account. You mentioned the two cabronis, was that it? Jabroni. Jabronis. Is that like Italian or? Yeah, they're like his buds. So. Okay, I had never heard that term before. It's, is that, I'm a, okay, thank you. Tammy and I are the only ones who have never heard that one. Um, but, oh, okay. So what does Abraham tell his jabronis when he leaves them and goes up with Isaac? Just wait here, we will go up and. We. And and we will return. We will return. Bingo. So there's that belief in the resurrection. I'm going to kill him, I think. That's what I have to do. But we're going to come back, the two of us. I mean, that's, otherwise, he would have said, I'll come back. And don't ask questions about where Isaac is, okay? <laughs> and don't tell Sarah. <laughs> Whatever you don't tell Sarah. We're coming back. Because there's a God in heaven who can raise the dead if that's what it takes to fulfill the promises made to this son. And the writer of Hebrews takes that as this is an example of faith. Trusting God in spite of great cost. Even offering a son if that's what it, you're asked. Or in spite of, again, unresolved difficulties. like, how does this even make sense, God? <laughs> Why would you ask me to do something like this? But I'll trust you anyway, even though I don't understand that one. And God was honored by that kind of faith. So, any comments or questions on Abraham's faith? Isn't that a fascinating verse? So one thought about that. Okay, so you remember the narrative. Isaac asked the million-dollar question. Okay, Father, <laughs> I see the wood. <laughs> but like, where's the animal? And what does Abraham say? God will provide. And then what do they name the place? God, what verb tense is that? God will provide, right? Why didn't he say God did provide or God provided, past tense? Because the rambles in the thicket, God provided. He says God will provide. He's looking to Jesus. So I think that's what Hebrews, or John 8 is about. Abraham saw that, and many people believe Mount Moriah is where Jerusalem is. Ended up being built. So he's looking ahead. God's going to provide a lamb in this spot someday. I don't know what that's going to look like. But he sees that and rejoices 2,000 years before Jesus shows up. That is really cool. (laughs) Um, And, of course, the leaders are like, you're not even 50 years old. How could you see Abraham? (laughs) And um, it's like, well, I got news for you. I'm not just 2,000 years old. Before Abraham was, 2,000 years ago, I am, as in the name God revealed at the burning bush, I am that I am, (laughs) eternal being. So that John 8 passage is just incredible uh, about what Abraham saw with the eyes of faith because he obviously didn't see it with physical eyes. He saw it by the eyes of faith. Okay, we do need to wrap it up. Let's close in prayer. Kyle, would you lead us, please?